I want to ask you, have you ever been in a room with somebody that you didn't know who they were? And I'm not just talking an ordinary person. I'm talking you were in the room with someone extraordinary, and you had no idea who they were. I was invited to a small gathering of probably about 25 people about seven, eight years ago. And I went into this beautiful room at this beautiful hotel, and all of us are gathered together, and I have no idea who I'm with. So I just start talking, and like it's normal, you know, there's nothing fancy about me, and I'm just chatting away. Later, I found out that I was literally with like the godfather of Bible distribution. I kid you not. I was with a person who is so well known for making sure that the Bible is translated into every language. His goal is to have a Bible in a child's language in their hands in every country across the world. I was in the room with him. Didn't have a clue. Just chatting about the weather, how you like Vegas. If I would have known who I was in the room with, it's not that I would have changed my speech. I wouldn't have put on this false type of Lindsay. I would have engaged differently. I would have asked questions. I would have given honor because, my goodness, he has spent decades of his life saying yes to Jesus. And I would have loved to learn something else about that, to honor those who've gone before us, right? But also, how can I glean from you? How can I? And instead, we are talking about the weather and the Las Vegas Strip. Man, I felt dumb. But I say that because I I have this thought that if we truly knew what faith was, if we truly understood the meaning of faith, the way we live it, the way we talk about it, the way we engage it, it would be a little bit different. So today, we're talking about that faith is essential. And I am convinced wholeheartedly that our understanding of faith impacts our engagement of faith. And so my heart today is to make faith bigger to us, to make it more tangible, to make it, yes, have the, the majestic sense of it, but also that you could take it off the shelf, amen? That you can engage with it. I got this gift. I spoke at a conference in September, and they gave me this cup as a gift for speaking, and it says theologian. Now, by no means am I a theologian. I am a student of the Bible, but I'm not a theologian. But I say that because you don't have to be a theologian to interact with faith. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to have a full understanding of what faith is so that you can better engage with it. So my desire for us today is that we are going to walk out of this room. Come on, maybe not theologians, but we're going to walk out of this room with a greater understanding of faith. And because I walk out of this room with a greater understanding of faith, I'm going to have a different engagement with faith. And when I engage differently in faith, come on, things start to happen. And so let's break down what it means to have true Bible faith. True Bible faith. In fact, I find it very interesting that in Matthew chapter 9, it's the first time that we see this word faith used in the New Testament. Sure, faith is talked about in the Old Testament. That's a a Hebrew word. I want to talk for the the moment that the word pistis. Now, if a junior higher was in there, they would be so excited that I just said the word pistis, right? Because like, she said a bad word. No, I didn't. It's a Greek word that means this. Pistis comes from the root word patho, which means to persuade, to have confidence, to come to trust. So the very first time that we see this word for faith used in the New Testament when our Jesus is born and living and walking and doing ministry, the first time we ever see this word used is in Matthew chapter 9. And so I want to go there, verse 1. It says, Jesus climbed into a boat and he went back across the lake to his town his own town. 
Now, some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, let me tell you, this is the exact same story that's in Mark chapter 2. Mark is just another writer who's telling about the exact same story, and we know this story, that Jesus returns to his hometown, and he is teaching. And people cannot believe the words that are coming out of his mouth. It is fascinating. And they are flocking to Jesus, and he is in this home, and people are in the house sitting at the table listening to him. They are at the doorway listening to him. They are leaning in at the window listening to him. But someone had heard that Jesus was in town, and they had a friend who was paralyzed. They heard that there was this Jesus, this man who had been healing people. They heard that there was this Jesus, this man who, from Nazareth, who was casting out demons. And if he could do it for them, could he do it for me? Could he do it for my friend? And so they get to this house, and this house is completely packed. So what do they do? They hightail their friend up in a mat up to the roof. And they start pulling back the layers of this roof, and they lower their friend down to the table where Jesus is teaching. How many of y'all know that story? That's also Matthew chapter 9. So the first time that we see this word pistis, to be confident, to, to have trust, right? To be persuaded that this is what it is, we see it here. And so next verse, seeing their faith, as Jesus is watching these people lower this man on the paralyzed, the paralyzed man on the mat, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. He sees their faith. He sees that faith is an absolute and confident belief. It is being persuaded and assured that he is who he is. These people who had never met him but heard about him, he is who he is. He's the man who heals. He's the man who's casting out demons. He is who he is. So let's lower our friend on this mat because I'm confident that he is who he is. And so Jesus saw this faith as they lowered him down. And he said to him, child, your sins are forgiven. Now, I find it so fascinating, friends, absolutely fascinating, that the very first mention of faith, the verse immediately following is the very first recorded opposition of faith. Isn't that fascinating? The very first time faith is ever mentioned in the Gospels, the immediate verse following is opposition. The very first recorded opposition of the religious leaders. So we got to be not surprised when this happens when our faith is followed by opposition. Because if the very first time faith is mentioned in the Gospels and then right after it comes opposition, why are we surprised when it happens in our lives 2,000 years later? It came right after. Let me show you verse 3. In verse 3 it says, but some of the teachers of the religious law, because hear me, they were gathering too. They heard about this Jesus too. They were in the doorways too. They were in the windows peeking in when everybody shoved in this house talking. But some of the teachers of the religious law, they said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Blasphemy is greater than a lie. It is tearing down who the person of Jesus is or God is speaking. Them. It, it, is, it is awful to do this. And they think, does he think he's God? But Jesus knew what they were thinking because he is God in flesh. And Jesus knew what he was thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? I think sometimes when it comes to faith, we think that opposition starts here. Opposition starts here to faith. We think sometimes it's just a mind thing and we have to be convinced of it. No, no, no. Opposition starts in the heart. And so Jesus continues, it's easier. He asks him, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to tell him stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. 
Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for giving humans such authority. So the first time that faith is mentioned, it's not saying that it's faith in God because they don't know who Jesus is as God. But they're having being convinced. They are trusting. They have been persuaded that some human has the authority to do things that only God can do. Faith. See, faith is not some feeling that we manufacture. It's not. It's not a good vibe feeling. It's not, a, it's not that. It's not a, a, a feeling that we create. It is our total response to what God has revealed in his word. Faith is not a feeling. Now, do we feel things like the presence of God? Yes. Can you walk? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you're like, man, there, something's about that person, like anointing or something. Like you just know there's something different in the best of ways. There are feelings associated with this stuff, but feelings are not the things that we manufacture to get our faith. Faith is our total response to what God has revealed in his word. See, because if it's based on feelings, feelings-based faith will not last. It won't. We see feelings-based faith throughout the gospel in the crowds. The crowds love to see the miracles. The crowds love to gather together to see someone speaking out against the Pharisees. Not everybody was a fan of Pharisees and Sadducees and, and Zealots. They loved that Jesus was confronting. But some of them were there just because of how Jesus was making them feel, not because of faith in God to be convinced, to be persuaded, to trust in was being stirred up in them. Feelings-based faith will not last. But can I tell you about the Christian faith? Our faith is not based on feelings. It is supported by findings. Our faith is not based on feelings. It is supported by findings. And I want to show you something written by Luke. Now, Luke was a, a Christ follower. He was a man of faith, but he was a doctor. He was a doctor who crossed his T's and checked his eyes. He loved to find things. He loved the facts. He loved gathering the information. So he took it upon himself to write both Luke and the book of Acts. And all of those are the coming and bringing in the information and the findings of Jesus Christ, the early church, all of these different things. And so let's read what, what Luke was sharing with the high priest that he was writing to. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that we have seen. We've been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke is saying, I took it upon myself that yes, there's all kinds of eyewitness accounts. People are writing their things down, but I took it upon myself to go and to carefully investigate everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus most honorable high priest, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So then faith, I hear this, I love this. So what we're hearing right here is that he's saying, I'm gonna give you an account. I'm gonna provide eyewitness material. I'm going to gather it so that you know that this faith that I have in Christ is not based on feelings, it's based on findings. And as we read throughout the book of Luke, we will see all the accounts of Christ and the miracles, Christ and his teachings, even going all the way back to the miraculous birth of Jesus, all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so although you and I may not have been eyewitnesses ourselves, 
Although you and I did not walk, if any of you are walking and you're 2,000 years old, like show me what you're living and what you're eating, right? Give me some of that. Because I'm about to turn 40 and the gray hairs and the wrinkles and I feel my face is going down. Like I want what you got if you were eyewitnesses to this. But most of us, none of us were eyewitnesses. But what we have as men and women of faith is that we have a Bible filled with accounts of eyewitnesses, of Holy Spirit inspirations of what people had seen Jesus do. People who had touched his body, who had seen the holes in his wrists as he was nailed to the cross and saw them again after he was resurrected. We get to stand on this. In fact, the New Testament writer Paul said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that you and I, maybe we weren't able to see the actual, the first thing happen. But come on, we see the fruit and the findings every single day. We see the fruit of his word activated in the lives of believers. And I love this. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1. He's explaining why are they sharing the word with people? Why are they sharing these accounts and findings of Jesus? Why are they sharing faith? He said, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. We're telling you about Jesus, the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we have seen. They saw him. They heard him. They walked with him. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. Next one. And now we testify because we've seen him. Now we can't help but tell about it. We testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Why am I telling you about Jesus? So that you can have fellowship with believers. Why am I telling you about Jesus so you can have fellowship with the church? But the fellowship goes bigger than just the church. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to fully be a part of this. That I don't want faith to be a fraction of your life. I want faith to be fully emerged in your life. It's exciting. I want you to be immersed in faith. Faith isn't something you do, it's who you are. I am in fellowship with the Son, Jesus, who is in fellowship with the Father. And because of that fellowship that I said yes to, I am saved by grace through faith. So I can't boast about anything. It's a gift, right? Because of that salvation, I get to enter by faith into a family of God. And that family of God isn't just the family of Avenue. It's not just the big C church walking the earth right now. The family of God is what is in already in eternity in the presence of the Lord and what is still to come. Grandkids that I don't have yet in Jesus' name, they're coming someday, 20 years from now, hallelujah. But I'm believing they'll be a part of the family of God too. I'm believing, come on, that people that have not even been born yet will be a part of the family of God. You see, we gotta look at faith as an invitation to fully share in the joy of fellowship with God. It's an invitation to fully share in fellowship. Fellowship isn't just some fancy Christian term. It's community. It's to be known. It's this deep belonging. See, it's essential to share our faith. It's essential. The entire Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles, everything from Matthew on is about sharing faith. 
It's not about keeping it to ourselves. So I have to wonder, God, what went wrong? Why, why are some of us first-generation believers? Or why were maybe our great-grandparents followers of the faith, but somehow it lost traction going down in my family line? I want to take you to Psalm 78. And it's possible that you've never seen Psalm 78 or you've never read Psalm 78. But I have an idea that the reason for the breakdown can be found in Psalm 78 because, friends, in 2023, we're missing something. We're missing something. If faith is essential and it's an invitation to fellowship with God and it is my privilege to share that faith with others and there's not a lot of traction happening. There's something missing. So if you are following along on version, you can actually scroll down as I read these to you. But I wanted you to see me read it from my Bible. It says, Psalm 78, verse 1. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. Because I'm about to tell you a parable. I'm about to speak to you in a story. I will teach you hidden lessons from past stories that we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. How many of you were children that truth was not shared with you? But here we are reading in scriptures that these stories are to be handed down and we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell them to the next generation. We'll tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't like an ant. What do you think about this? If you feel like it. No, it says he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. To the next, so that the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Friends, what we are seeing is the lack of a hope anew. What we're seeing is a lack of that, that faith being imparted, stories being passed down, generation to generation of the goodness of God. I remember growing up, and my papa was raised as a child in the Great Depression. His father was an alcoholic. He was one of five children. My grandfather would tell me of stories of him walking to school wearing clothes that did not fit him. It was just whatever was passed down is what you got. And him seeing his father laid out drunk on a sidewalk and literally walking over his father as he would go to school. And he began to tell me how awful of this childhood was. But he said, Lindsay, there was something that switched in my life. One day he was in a hotel years later as an adult and he was considering committing suicide. This is my papa, my papa who played such a significant role in my life, who took my family in when my family was broken. My papa was my safe person. And my papa told me that in Chicago, he sat down on this hotel bed and he opened up the drawer and there was a Gideon Bible. And for that moment, as he contemplated suicide, he said, I'll try something. And he just threw the Bible and saw where it landed. And he opened up to the Gospel of Matthew, where it says, what I have done, what you have done unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And my papa sat on that floor in Chicago in a hotel room and wept. And he said, God, I will spend the rest of my life doing unto the least of these. So I would do unto you. Now that explains why my papa would bring homeless people home to live with us. Seriously, I had Uncle Gene 
Gene's from D Street. And Gene lived with us, I kid you not, for 15 years. His son Keith came and lived with us. Like, I, I was just used to, if someone was hurting, if there was a, a mom in a domestic abuse situation, her and her children, I remember living at my papa's house. Like, this was always something that our family talked about. But where did it start? It started from a broken kid in the Great Depression who found Christ in the moment of suicide. From a Gideon Bible. Thank God for Gideons that place Bibles in every hotel room across the nation. But those are the stories. we got to tell more stories, friends. Because if we don't tell stories, Psalm 78 verse 8 says, Then they will not be like their ancestors. Stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. What happens when we don't pass down stories? We become stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give our hearts to God. Is that not where we're at? Let's tell more stories. Let's tell more stories of his goodness. I love that in Rooted, our Rooted groups are meeting right now. And in Rooted, they're learning, what is your story? How did God enter your life? What was the context? What was happening? Put that into words, and they're learning to share their story. We are given such a beautiful authority in the power of our tongue. And it's such life that can flow from this. And our stories ignite faith in people. See, I want us to see that faith isn't just our inheritance. It's our legacy. Faith isn't just something that I get to inherit. And hear me, wouldn't it be wonderful if our children just grew up and just loved Jesus, right? With no issues, never talked back, never had to be grounded, just was awesome. All No, they're human, guys. Like, drop that expectation. They need to wrestle out their own stuff with Jesus. But it's still their inheritance. But then it's up to them in the future. What is their legacy going to be? What are we leaving behind? So faith, I don't want it just to be my inheritance. I want it to be something I leave behind. And it's not just a church. I want it to be in people. People of faith, in children, in my family. You see, the unsaved world, it does not understand true Bible faith. Probably because it sees so little faith in action in the church today. People don't get it. They don't understand it. That's why they oppose it. That's why they mock it, right? But if, is it because we see so little of it in action in the church today? See, faith is not meant to be private. Faith is meant to be present. And it doesn't have to be wacko, friends. It doesn't have to be weird. Faith is meant to be present in our lives. I remember a story that my mom shared with us. I'm an East Sider, right? I grew up, I, was, I live over, I lived for years over by Samstown. Yep, Boulder Highway, <laughs> Nellis. All right, if you don't know it, it's okay. But my mom was driving, flying down Cabana one day. And my mom, for a lot of good reasons, has a fear of men, right? Grew up with a fear of men and even into adulthood, fear of men. And so as my mom's driving down the street, she sees this man running in a suit. And she felt the Holy Spirit say, pick him up. Mom's like, I don't pick men up, <laughs> right? Like, I don't do that. Like, I'm just, you know. And what ends up happening is she's so convinced that the Holy Spirit said, pick him up. She's like, okay, Jesus, you better protect me. And she, she flips a U-turn, and she pulls up to this running young man and says, can I give you a ride? I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you to get into my car. <laughs> and he gets in, and he starts to cry because he is late for a job appointment. 
he is being interviewed and he is running to Sam's town for this job and he believed that God opened the door and he just asked the Lord, I need help, I'm not gonna make it. And then here comes Susie <laughs> in her Camry and picks up the man. Friends, it's, sto- it's stories like that where you hear people of faith doing what God has asked you to do when you're at home and someone gets put on your heart and you pray for them. That's an act of faith. Faith is, not, is meant to be present. It just means that when I wake up in the morning, I'm inviting God, not just in my household, I'm inviting him out the door with me. I'm inviting him into my, my work. I'm inviting him into my friendships. I'm inviting him into my school environment. I am open, God, because I want you present with me all day long. I don't want you just when I open the door to return to the house. I want you here with me now. Faith is meant to be present. And so I want to show you in the Bible, it's not a definition of faith. It's better a description of faith. Because if you were to look at me, you'd be able to describe me. She's wearing all black. She's got blonde hair, you know? Like, you'd be able to describe it. Look at what I'm about to share with you as a description of what faith looks like. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients, right? This is what our ancestors were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that it is seen, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So faith is this assurance. It's this confidence of things I'm hoping for, things that I'm believing for, things that are found in the word of God that maybe I can't see it yet, but it's gonna come. That I can look at the earth, I can look at the ocean, I can look at the mountains and say, I can see the work of an unseen God. I can see the physical fingerprints of my heavenly father. And what I love about Hebrews chapter 11 It goes on to show you how that description of faith was played out in different people in the the Bible. In fact, we look at Abraham. He left his hometown. He left his homeland even though he didn't know he was going. How did he do it? By faith. Sarah believed God's promise of a baby even though she was barren and she was old. By faith, she believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. Noah, I love this one. A lot of people don't understand. Do you understand in the days of Noah, rain had never fallen on the earth? So when God tells Noah to build a boat in the middle of land, why would he have to build a boat in the middle of land? Why would that even be necessary? Because water had never fallen from the sky. But even though the earth had never experienced rain, Noah was faithful and Noah built the boat. What about Moses? When God said, go back to Egypt and I want you to help set my people free, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Even though he felt inadequate, by faith, Moses said, yes, I am going. Why? Because when we take this description of faith and we put it and activate it in our lives, the true Bible faith becomes confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and in spite of confidence. So we see this this faith being um, growing and maturing. That originally my faith begins in trusting that God is who he says he is. I have this belief and confidence. I am persuaded. I trust. I am having that faith that is found in Matthew chapter 9. But as that faith is growing in my life, I am now able that despite circumstances, despite situations and consequences, I am going to be obedient 
to God's word and step out in faith. Can I tell you it's easier to obey when you trust? Guys, we see this in relationships. Why wouldn't we think it would be the same thing with our Heavenly Father? There was a situation not too long ago where, man, Levi was just not listening to me. And he wasn't doing what I asked him to do. And it wasn't this preteen attitude. I really had to get alone with myself and look at, like, what is happening? And you want to know what it boiled down to? It boiled in that particular area. Levi did not trust me because there had been a failing in that area before. And he did not trust me that this was going to happen the way that I said it was going to happen. Do you know it's easier to obey when you trust? It's easier. And so if we ever have this feeling of this hesitation that I can't do your word, I can't step out in that God, I would wonder if it's not an issue with hesitancy. What if it's a trust issue? Or it's not just you don't feel like it. Is it really do you trust him? See, true Bible faith becomes trust-based faith. Trust-based faith. We can trust in the character of God. I love this. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6 says, I am God and I do not change. I'm the Lord. I don't change. We can trust in the character of God, that God will always be righteous. He will always be just. He will always be gracious. He will always be loving. He will always be honest. He cannot lie. He cannot fail. He cannot even be unfaithful. The scripture tells us that even when we're unfaithful, he can't be faithful because faithful is who he is. And so he is a God that we can trust in his character who he is. We can also trust in the promises of God. I love Joshua chapter 21 verse 45. Joshua was reflecting on all the things that God had done for the children of Israel. They're in the promised land. And he looks back and reflects. He says, all of the good promises that God promised Israel, not a single one of them didn't come to pass. All of them came to pass. All of them were fulfilled. Not one was left unfulfilled. We can also trust in the intentions of God. And here is where a lot of us get hung up. Do you really mean good for me? Is this a punishment for me? Is this really meant God to help me, not to harm me. I love Jeremiah 29, 11 because it says, for the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's, not to harm you, right? He has to tell him, I'm not planning to harm you. I'm planning to give you a hope and a future. I love in the gospels when, when Jesus said, what father, when asked for bread, would give a stone? Like, who does that? How much more does your heavenly father give his kids good gifts? God's intentions towards you are good and they are right. His plans for you are good and they are right because that's who he is. His intentions are not to harm you, they're to help you. You see, it all boils down to each of us have been given a measure of faith. And I want us to look at this real quick. I think some of us think that God has generously poured out to others and not to me. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says each of you have been given a measure of faith. You all start with a measure of faith. All of us do. The measure of faith that I started with in 2002 when I gave my life to Jesus is not the same measurement of faith that I have in 2023. It's different. But even though we start here, there's a gradual increasing over time that happens. But that increasing, the amount of time it takes to increase and the capacity that it increases to has a lot to do with us guys, not just God. It has to do with Am I hearing your word? 
If it comes by hearing the word, right, that my faith grows by hearing of the word, then maybe a little bit more faith gets poured into me. Or maybe I, I step out in faith, I believe that God is asking me to do something, and I take a, a step of obedience. That's a little bit more faith. And here's what I love about Jesus. When this is no longer your capacity, this becomes your capacity. And then as that begins to get filled, you get moved to greater capacities. But it's when we're faithful with the little things, when we take steps of faith, of obedience, in the small things that he asked us. I think some of us are waiting to have the opportunity to be Moses. Right? Moses' story didn't start with a burning bush. It started with the faithfulness of his parents who hid him. At three months old, he was supposed to be a murdered Hebrew boy. And yet his parents made up a floating device for him, a basket, and put him down the river to live, not to die. He went through years of God forming character, of getting things out of him, right? Of being in relationship with him. When we say that faith is a journey, it's a journey, friends. It is, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we're meant to walk it not just by ourselves, but with other people. But I don't want the expectation to be, well, I'll start operating in faith when my faith is this big. No, we all start with the measure of faith. And so here, Lord, think about the little boy. When all the people are gathered and they're hearing the Sermon on the Mount, they're hearing Jesus speak. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, let's get some food for all these thousands of people. And they start looking around and here's this kid. This kid's like, hey, I got some bread and some fish and I'm willing to share. That's faith. Whatever you have in you, God uses that as seeds to help it grow. We're going to do something special. Um, we're going to take a moment and take communion. Alita, could you hand me that right there on the seat? When you came in today, you were given um, communion. Now, you don't have to be a member of Avenue Church to take communion. But if you would like to take communion today and you haven't yet received a communion item, would you raise your hand and we'll get it to you if you want one. Just shoot your hands up and our team will get to you. Yep, if we can get one right over here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I love about communion. Because communion is a time to remember. It's a time to remember what Jesus did for us. That his body was broken so that you and I can receive salvation. His body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins. There had to be that perfect sacrifice so that you and I could live in eternity with Jesus. That by faith we could do that. We remember that by breaking bread and by drinking of the cup. We do that to remember what he did. What I also love about communion is it's a good restart, friends. So sometimes we could have these measures of faith. But because of whatever reason, I don't know your season. I don't know what you're walking in. Maybe last year it was this for you. But this has just been stagnant. You know what communion is? It's a great restart. It's a great coming to the table in relationship with our Heavenly Father, who the only way to be in relationship with is by faith, through faith. It's the only possibility. It's a restart. And so what I want us to do is I want us to remain seated. But I'd like you to peel back on the bottom. There's a little part for the bread. Would you peel back that bottom portion and take out the bread? And if you need a restart, when we take this today, 
I want you to thank God for what he did, but also, Father, encourage me with what you're gonna do. Encourage me with what you still can do, God. And it's not over. It's not over. You're still moving. You're still working. Your word is alive. Your spirit is moving. You're not done with me yet. But thank you that it starts with you. It ends with you. But I'm on this journey with you. So if you would, thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken. We take this today in remembrance of you. You would flip it over and remove the top of the cup. His blood was shed for us. There had to be a sacrifice. Because when God looks at us, he, he, he wants to see the righteousness of his son. He, he can't, if we were in our own, our own being, our own abilities, we would not be able to stand in the presence of God. There's too much sin, there's too much shame, there's too much mess. But because Jesus in his grace and in his love died on the cross for us, we get to stand and God sees the righteousness of God in us. He says, I cast your sins. I, re I don't remember them anymore. I cast them as far as the east is from the west. It's all because of what was done on the cross. And so in that restart, man, if I need to ask for forgiveness, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been living in the freedom of that sacrifice. I'm sorry that I haven't been walking. God, the way that your Holy Spirit could empower me to walk. I'm sorry I've been walking this faith out. It's a great time to say, let's restart it. Let's restart it. So Jesus, we thank you so much for the blood that was shed on the cross for us. We thank you that even when we were sinners, you still decided to die for us. It's nothing that we can do to earn your love. It's who you are to give your love. And so Jesus, we drink this in remembrance of you. Would you please drink the cup with me? At Avenue, one of our values is that we disarm the power of shame. So when we're talking about faith, and that it's essential, and that we're getting this better understanding so that we can walk in it, the enemy would want nothing more than to put shame on you, to make you feel like you already screwed up 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. What makes you think you're gonna walk in faith now? But my God says you can walk in faith now. People at every age and every stage are called to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what rap histories we have, right? Even if we have a mugshot or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that I am, I'm stepping now, Lord. Not in my own might or my own doing, but I've got this idea in my mind. I've got this faith that I am convinced, I am persuaded. And I want that convincing and that persuading and that trust, not just to be all on you, God. I wanna take my faithful steps of obedience. And so we have an essentials challenge for all of us to participate in. Read God's word regularly. Read it regularly. I'm not gonna tell you if that's a scripture or a chapter or a book, read it regularly. I love that in our version notes today, there's actually, if you scroll down to the bottom, there is a fear, uh, I'm not a fear, whoo, not fear, a faith, a faith devotional that you can take called Daring Faith. And that's awesome, read it. It goes for 31 days. Maybe you need to take a step of obedience. For some of you in this room, God may have asked you to do something and you have not, <laughs> you know it, you haven't done it yet. Whatever the reason, you haven't done it yet. Maybe this week is the week to take a step. And then have a faith conversation. We don't need to just get excited about Jesus when we come together on Sundays. 
We don't need to just be talking about Christ and the things that he's doing in our lives only when we get together on Sundays. Talk to somebody, have a faith conversation with somebody this week. Be encouraged. I received a text yesterday of how God had come through for somebody and they were so excited. That encouraged me. Because the same God who did that in their life with that provision, that same God is providing for me. He can provide for you. Do you know a great way to grow your faith is to get around faith-filled people. Rub shoulders with faith-filled people. Have coffee. Tell your friends that are bringing you down you are busy this week and ask somebody from church to hang out. Go have a faith-filled conversation. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you today. I'm so grateful for who God is. So grateful for who he is. He's so faithful, isn't he? He's awesome. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you are restarting today, I wanna pray for you. If you're saying, you know what, I've got a measure of faith and I'm restarting, would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying? Just up and down real quick. Awesome, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's a lot, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13. That's awesome. If yes, awesome, that's awesome. Then we're restarting. If you are here today and you're saying, I don't even have a measure of faith. I have not yet given my heart to Jesus. And Lindsay, I want that. I want to be trusting in something. I want to be confident in something. I have been persuaded that Jesus loves me and he wants to fill my life with faith. I want that measure. If that is you today and you'd like me to pray for you, would you raise your hand? I need a measure of faith. Yes, it's awesome. I see your hand. One, two, three. Awesome. That's awesome. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for restarts today. I'm grateful in the mighty name of Jesus that you start things new. Scripture tells us that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a brand new creation. Will we get those new startups, God, all the way through? And so, Father, I pray, ignite those faith. Those men and women that raised their hand and said, God, I'm restarting today. Father, encourage them. But hear me, friends, opposition. If it came for Jesus, it's coming for you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would protect them but you would also give them this tenacious spirit that I can get this done. I can stand in the face of opposition and stand firm because I'm reading my word regularly. I'm stepping out in obedience and I am having faith conversations. So protect those seeds, protect those commitments today. For those who are first asking for a measure of faith for the very first time, as a church family, we pray this together. So would everyone lift their voices and say, dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for making a way for me. Today I say yes. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I receive a measure of faith. Help me to live for you. I'm grateful for all that you've done. And I'm excited for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.